0: Hi, Revive Church. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Um, Today's scripture comes from Proverbs. And first is chapter one, verses seven through 19. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way of them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. And next is chapter nine, verse nine. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning." And then we have chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Verse 26. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Chapter 3, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Okay, Revive. Um, We are in part two of our new series, and I said that we were going to be spending this summer looking at various different verses from Proverbs and if you've never looked at Proverbs before, you should, and I really strongly urge you to take the summer um, to read it if you haven't done it. But you'll, the first nine chapters, so there are certain discourses like this portion that came out of chapter one. And then after that, there's all these aphoristic verses. Um, and then you'll see that there's certain subject matters that come up again and again. And we're going to try to hit some of those. And today, I want to... Um, uh, I want to tackle the subject of uh, who influences you. That's a, this is, that's a big portion of, 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 um, of, wi- um, of wisdom is who do you listen to? You know, we have this thing like, do you follow you know, on your social media? I follow this person or I follow this person. And really what that means is you're allowing their content to come into your life. Who do you read? Who do you listen to? And does it really comport with God's word? That's really what that, that's really the big kind of the big overarching point that I want to get to you and um, and so I know some of you I already kind of signaled it early in, in the in, in our service that I, I will tackle some of the um, the big things that are going on and I'll get I'll get there okay um, but let's just first let's let's first take a look a little bit at this passage okay let's look at the, what's going on in these passages and um, and, you know, some of you, maybe you can already start to see, I, I didn't, when I, when I was looking, picking these passages, I had this message planned several weeks ago, and I did not think I would be talking about issues of racial justice and all the controversial matters that our society is utterly embroiled in at this time, but um, as you can see, maybe some of you can see, that this passage actually speaks to some of those issues, so just to give you an example, let's let's go through uh, chapter one. Um, it says here. Well, uh, before we get immediately to the parts that are relevant to the things that everybody is interested in talking about today, let, let me just 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 back off. Let's listen to God's word here. Okay, verse seven. This is a really important verse, and if you don't know it, you should know it. You should memorize it, right? The fear of the Lord, this is His name. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So first, um, if you don't even have a, an awe—not a fear, just like I'm afraid of God—but that a sense that you're in awe of Him, and that I do think there's a healthy sense you should you should be afraid of God. I mean, God is the one who could who could condemn you for all eternity if you have no healthy fear of the one who is to do that. We're afraid of the people, we're afraid of the other people on our social justice feed, I mean, not our, our social media feed, because on the basis of social justice, they might condemn us and then ostracize us from um, polite company or out of the, of the circle of their friends. We're afraid of them, but we don't have fear of God. If we don't have fear of the Lord, that, that's, that you, you just, I would just say, according to the word of God, you, you're, you're, you're among the fools. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. There is one we should consider: His word, His perspective, His feelings, what He deeply cares about. That's what we should think about first. And I want to say something about this. Um, you know, i I've, you know the, the Bible. You know, we're, we're a gospel-centered church, and we're not always interested in the fear of the Lord, and nor are we always interested even in wisdom. You know, what we're interested in. We're interested in the gospel. And um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, is the beginning of wisdom, according to the Bible. But you know what is the completion? According to the completion, it's the beginning, but the end or the completion of true knowledge and of wisdom, it is Jesus. It is the foolishness of God, as I preached last week. So I want to start there. So let's, let's move on. Verse eight. Hear, my son... Your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Let's stop for a moment. Um, there's grace. You know, the, the, all throughout this book of Proverbs, you're not you're not actually going to see that word very much. It's a a lot of of wisdom is actually like this is dumb, <laughs> this is wise. And one of the things I wanted to let you know is a lot which is really wise is which is righteous it's completely the opposite of our culture. Our culture is very not interested in grace, nor righteousness. But we're interested in what's smart. If you do this, you'll get richer. If you do this, you'll get ahead. If your 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 career will launch, this will work. And it's always pragmatic, it's utilitarian. Ours is a very very utilitarian spirit. And where do we get that wisdom? We don't we don't get it from a father. Here here's the here my son, your father's instructions. And, and I, when I read that, I, 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 I hear the echo. We just went through Ten Commandments. I hear the echo of honor your father and your mother. Now, of course, not all our fathers and our mothers always have wisdom. But if they have wisdom from the scripture, you know, you may not get along with your dad. <laughs> but if he has wisdom, and maybe he doesn't even talk about the Bible or Jesus, but you should have some sense that there might be a wisdom that's coming from a deeper well. And if today... You're, you immediately go to the internet, or if you're going to go even to your professors, or to smart, educated intellectuals, and you're not talking about a wisdom that's passed on from fathers to fathers to son, father, i mean, generations upon generations. This is the movement. God's wisdom and truth is passed on generation upon generation upon generation, and our church believes in that very, very profoundly. Will you? I want to urge you. Will you trust ancient wisdom? Will you trust a wisdom that has been proven and tested again and again and again? Father to son, mother to daughter, mother to the son, again and again and again, and again based on God. And it points us to a graceful garland which will complete our life. Now let's go to verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol that is like hell, like the place of the dead. Let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. Let's just stop for a moment. You know in a normal American time we're thinking like I don't know anybody who's you know lying in wait for blood, but you know um Today, it really feels like that, isn't it? In your social media feed, maybe they're not out for your blood, but there's a lot of hatred and there's a lot of anger. And let us ambush the innocent without reason. I think there's a lot of that going on today. There's a lot of that going on today. They demand that you agree with a certain perspective. And they demand that if you do not it's, like, it's not even just that you have to totally agree with this perspective that if you just say something that even asks a question, you're not, you're not, you may even agree, but you're not, you have a question. And if you ask a question, they think you're, you're insensitive or you are not fully on board, you must be with the racists. <laughs> and I would say, what is that? That is... Exactly what verse 11 is saying. Let us lie in ambush. And then there are people turning on their friends or their coworkers. There are people who then spread stuff about you. And a lot of you probably know about this even better than I do. I know a number of you, are you're really nervous about your job. And you fear that if you say nothing, if you don't do a a, a particular like on certain types of social media feeds, that you could be judged and this spirit is going on. It goes on, Um, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. It isn't today like we're trying to get money from people, but we are trying to make sure they align with our ideology. Our vision of what is right and just so throw in your lot among us. In fact, we demand it. We'll all have one purse. We'll all have one, there's only gonna be one set of goods. And everybody, you have to throw your lot in into that purse, into that, into, into our group. Otherwise, you're, you're not with us. You're bad. This is the spirit of this time and this isn't Susan's opinion. There's this, here it is, ancient wisdom from the Bible. You need to be very careful when people say, we have a thing, it's good, do this. And they're not, they don't have integrity, they don't have carefulness, they're unwilling to listen to evidence, they don't have humility, they don't, they're not saying, let's do this in a righteous way. we're being sold something that is supposedly completely righteous, but everything about the way it's done is so not righteous. It is said that if you don't do this, you're not part of the justice, but the way it's done is completely unjust. When you see that, you should be very, very nervous. You should be very, very skeptical, and you should ask questions. And you should not be ashamed to ask questions. In fact, I would say the situation demands questions. And if something looks murky, well, ask questions. And then if they demand you can't ask those questions, then you could say, whoa. Proverbs chapter one. And listen to other things that they say. The The verses of verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them hold back your foot from their paths for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. They make haste to judge. They make haste to reject or to cancel. That's the word today, I'll be canceled. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. And you know what? This is already happening. There's a set of people today that says, if I just join you, then I'll be okay, right? And I'll just do this. And all the people, but it says that they're actually setting an ambush for their own lives. Because what's happening today is there's a lot of people saying, if I just join in this today, but then tomorrow, if you don't 100% agree or you don't look like you're totally with this group, then they'll turn on you tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's an ambush tomorrow. It's already happening today. <laughs> Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. The passage is more directly talking about unjust gain of money, but there's lots of ways to seek unjust gain. And that is the spirit of today, and it's deeply troubling. I, I I'll be really honest with you. I can't sleep. Um, I deeply love my country. I I believe in obeying Jesus, which means to love our neighbors, all of our neighbors. We don't actually have lots of black neighbors because Silicon Valley has a very small percentage of black Americans, but love our Indian neighbors, love our Mexican neighbors, love our neighbors who don't believe in Jesus, love our neighbors who hate the Bible. I believe in that. I believe that we need to have genuine protection and justice in our society, and the Christians cannot shrink back from that. We have to be part of that. And I can't sleep. And there's a rule, it's, an un, it's a gigantic, unspoken rule in America that Christians should stay out of politics. And I actually think, largely, you know, that when the church should not speak in politics, and I largely agree with that rule. That is a wise rule, Okay. Because politics is divisive and generally, politics is about the greasy climb after power. So these people want things done a certain way and these people want things done a different way and they have to fight in order to get the power to implement their agenda. You know what? That's just normal life. And it doesn't always have to be bad, but generally when people are seeking after power, they don't always do it the best way. It's completely normal that they begin to cross lines. But what do you do if the agenda, which has become politicized, is what I believe is a false religion? It is a seeking after justice, but it isn't real justice. And it's based upon a religion, but they don't call it a religion, but it functions just like a religion. So I see these videos and I see people and they're confessing their sins. I have been complicit in, you know, racial systemic injustice. I have been complicit, and then they kneel down and then they wash feet. When I see that, that's that's religion. That's religion. It's like straight out of stuff pulled out of church. That's religion. It doesn't have anything of God or the Bible or God's word and God's wisdom in it. And in fact. Often the the, a lot of the people, not all the people, thankfully, but a lot of the people who care about this form of religion very much are too very very unhappy with with true faith. Um, Let's just go look at a couple of the other verses, and I didn't just cherry pick these because I like these, but I mean there's so many there's so many other verses in Proverbs. That speak to this issue about, are you willing to listen to who or those who are truly wise and righteous? So um, here's Proverbs 12:18. "There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing, brings healing. We need to bring healing. We need to have tongues that speak for healing. Right now, there's tons of people whose tongues are like sword thrusts. Incredible anger and hatred, fomenting fear and condemnation. But we need words of... Let me give you a different one. We, this one wasn't read by our sister, but let me offer you... This is chapter 16, verse 20. A dishonest man spreads strife. Spreads strife. And a whisperer separates close friends do you have a whisper in your life It's breaking up your friendships? This is what the Bible says. Um, chapter 12, verse 26, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Brothers and sisters, who do you listen to? Will you esteem the word of God over the word of man? Will you esteem the Bible? You don't have to trust who's Find it in the Bible. You should trust the Bible. You should absolutely trust the Bible a lot more than me. And if I don't follow the Bible, you should call me out. Hey, Susan, you're supposed to be my pastor. You're supposed to teach us the Bible. Give us the Bible. All right? And then if there are other opinions that I have and they disagree with the Bible, you should call me out. And you know what? If there are other people in our society you should be able to test. You can test your father. You can test your professors. You can test your friends. You have to know the Bible. You have to know God's mind on many different subject matters and then start to sift them and say, wait a second, the Bible has this. You know, about a, a week and a half ago, we had that subject matter, and I blitzed you <laughs> very, very fast with a series of principles, and all of them, I gave you the, the, a bunch of Bible passages that support all of those principles. And we have to live in all those principles. And to live in all those principles is to live in God's word, God's wisdom. So one more. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. This is Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Okay, let's go to, um, let's go to, well, Okay, let me just say this before I go to, before I jump on the grenade, okay? Brothers and sisters, um, there's something that we do in our church. We have this uh, small group, this beautiful ministry that we call GLF, Gospel Life Families. Brothers, talk to each other and please be, give words of wise. Have the spirit that we're going to go to the Bible. Let's live according to Christ. He is our greatest wisdom, He's our King and our Lord. And let's call each other to accountability, to walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which leads us to. And so in this time, please let's be words of, of wise to each other. And all throughout our, don't just immediately go to the internet or so forth. Let's share wisdom with each other. And let's test who it is that we are listening to from our culture. And let's have a great big conversation. And so please be in your small groups, talk to your brothers and sisters, and let us be those who walk with the wise, who help each other become wise, and let us not be the companion of fools that suffer harm. Let's go to part two, the elephant in the nation. So you guys have heard this phrase, there's an elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is when everybody's thinking about, and they have a big question, and they got... They're really, really concerned about something, but people are afraid to bring it up. And here is the elephant. Everybody is talking about racial systemic injustice. We're talking about police. We're talking about, we're worried about bullying. We're worrying about, can you say this? Can you ask this question? And I, I want to do what's good. I want to do what's right. I do care. I do care. And you should care. And I'm glad you care. But we need, we, need to, we need to open up a better conversation. And I want to start with this. I already alluded to this. Um, I think there is a, a bad religion. And it's like a religion. And some of you are like, let me tell you, I'm not having fun right now. I'm not having fun talking about things that everybody thinks is political. Um, that isn't normally what I do as a pastor. I have great interest in political matters. But you notice as a pastor, I don't generally talk about those things to you. I have my own discussion groups. I talk about those things. I'm not afraid to talk about those, those things. If you want to talk to me, I will, I will give you my opinions. But generally, I'm very, very reluctant to go into that space because I don't want or church. I certainly don't want my authority as a pastor to be thought, oh, it's for this political agenda. It is not. Hmm. I do not forget that I belong to Jesus. That's my boss. <laughs> my boss is Jesus. Hmm. And that is my, I am not afraid of any of you or other people, but I am afraid of him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And he's going to call me to the mat and say, hey, Susan, did you do your job according to my will? That I'm very, very, I take very, very seriously. But to this, I've been cracking that in these last couple of messages because how do you not in some way adjust, address it? But here are some things that I'm concerned about. I will name it. I've been reading some essays about an agenda today called anti-racism. Have any of you heard of this thing? Some of you may have heard about it. Some of you have not heard about it. Anti-racism is not what it sounds like. We're against racism. Well, what American isn't? But there's a new movement called anti-racism. And anti-racism is a straight-up religion. It is an incredibly intolerant religion. And it separates the world in, in a Manichaean way. And I mentioned this in our online thing, that the world is, that there are some people, man, the Manichaeans were an ancient religion that says that there was the people of light and there were the people of darkness. And you're either on the good or you are against the good. And this is the new Manichaeanism of anti-racism. And you are, so you're either against it, you're either for us and with us against racism or you're against it. And if you disagree or you're not even just, then you're on the bad side. And we will, we won't string you up and hang you, but basically we'll do the social media equivalent. We'll destroy your reputation and your livelihood if necessary. This is a really, really bad, and I would say this is a wicked agenda. Incredibly dangerous. And historically, this happens. And, you know, the, I'll give you some examples. The the Inquisition, uh, where the Catholic Church decided that they need to go after some people who are heretics. A more recent example, the Salem witch trials. And normally, those who have a progressive bent, they love critiquing this. These are where the Christians were so bad, right? But um, you get even more recent And you get in the 1950s, there was a guy named Joseph McCarthy. And maybe you've read this in in your history books. And it was called the Red Scare. And there are these people. If you were a communist, your reputation would be destroyed and people would hate you. And there was a famous center, or I guess we should call him an infamous center, named Joseph McCarthy. But today, and then later on, and in America and outside of America it was much worse so in multiple different countries you had what i would call communism and communists would say you are not for the state and all these are atheist movements had nothing to do with the church had nothing to do with Christianity and if you would if you said something that even questioned the agenda of the religious movement and that's what communism is a lot of people think it's a it's simply an economic movement or a political movement It is about economics and about politics, but at core, it's a religion. And if you disagree with their religion, you'd be sent to the gulag, or you'd be sent to the concentration camp. Whether it's the Khmer Rouge, incredibly famous um, writer named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he wrote One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. Have you ever read this book? I read this book, it's absolutely horrifying. He wrote some things, and the reason he could write that book was because he was sent to the gulag. Let me tell you, today, it's the same spirit. The same exact spirit. And we have to, and we can't sit still. This is really, really serious business. It's Absolutely serious business. And we need some truth-tellers Let me talk about a couple other things. Um, there is, there is a, there's a huge accusation, and everybody considers it completely. It's um, the, the the there's no jury. We've already convicted all the police. They're racist. There's systemic racism by all the police, and we saw the video, and that's it. That's proof. That is not proof, It is not proof. It's one incident, it's only got one angle. Was that a horrible incident and was it unjust? Absolutely, I can't think of any American that I know. I don't know, I literally know nobody who thought that should have happened. George Floyd should not be dead. Nobody thinks that George Floyd should have died. But does that mean that all the cops are racist and are unjust? That is not. It cannot be decided by that, or even if you heard a story, if you heard another story, if you heard another story, or even five or six or ten videos, that's still not enough. That is not evidence. Those are anecdotes. Those are stories. And if you're making an incredibly serious charge, just think about it. If you're on the other side, somebody accuses you of something of a really horrendous sin. Do you want say, well, you know, you said this one thing. That means you're bad. I've got it on video. So you said this one thing. Maybe you texted something. Maybe you texted something five years ago or 10 years ago, and somebody has that. Is that evidence... That you're a horrible human being. That you should be canceled? Just think about that for a moment. The Bible says you should treat your neighbor as you would. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Is this the way to love our neighbors? So if there is a really serious charge like this, there needs to be really serious evidence. So let's go into it a little bit. I've been looking for evidence. We have to look for evidence. It's a question I want to ask you. Who are the witnesses? Where is the evidence? this evidence better be huge, rock solid. And I have to say to you, the evidence against the police, it's really, really flimsy to none. It's slim to none. And that's not a fun thing to say. And I'm probably going to get torched for saying it. But let's... Offer you something else. I heard about this from a guy named John McWhorter. John McWhorter, for those of you who don't know, he's brilliant. He's black. He's a linguistics professor. He's, he's currently—I uh, think his PhD is in linguistics. He had his PhD up here up the street at Stanford University. Today's a professor at uh, Columbia University. And I watched the video, and he just lays it straight out. He says. Have you ever, anybody heard a guy named Tony Timpa? Well, Tony Timpa, he died very similarly to George Foster. A police officer put a knee on his neck and he died. Hmm. Except nobody knows who Tony Timpa is because he's white. And if you look at the data, every instance that similarly you hear about how police did this and that, there's actually lots of very, very similar instances. And he just rolls right down. John McWhorr, he just rolls right down. There's this. He'll give you an instance that was incredibly famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, in the news, and then he lays out another one, except that nobody knows about it because that person was white. And there's other things. You know how many people um, are, are killed by the police in a given year? It's pretty consistent. If you go this, this is the data. You never hear about this in the news. You never hear about this in the news. And everybody right now, we're like a grand mob that effectively is like violating everything from Proverbs chapter one. But there's about a thousand. It's about a thousand. And that's a lot. But it's a thousand out of roughly about 10 million arrests. Um, I was listening last night. Who, who's, who's giving this? Listening to an episode from Sam Harris's podcast. And I don't know if you know this, Sam Harris. Sam Harris became famous a number of years ago because he was one of the new atheists. This guy does not believe in God. He's very anti-Christian. He absolutely is not a Republican. He absolutely hates Donald Trump. But he also cares about science and data. And in his episodes, he just rolls just very, very calmly, dispassionately lays out the evidence. 10 million arrests, 1,000 killings, and actually there are more white people killed than black people by the police. Did you know that? But then they say, wait, but more black people disproportionate to the population. That's true. That's true. Black Americans are about 13% of the American population. But then... The people who are they don't tell you this part. They never tell you this part. Well, according to Sam Harris, the data he's citing, about 53% of violent crime in America is committed by mostly black men. So actually, the number of deaths is less than the proportion of the percentage of the crimes. And When you start taking this stuff in, you have to start asking yourself this question, This doesn't actually sound like cops are out to get black people, does it? Now, I do believe there are probably problems among the police. And if this latest problem set of huge things that's roiling our country leads to really good, actual, real reform in the police and in the criminal justice system, i got no problem with that, I'm, I'm all for that. And we need to have a serious conversation, but that conversation needs to be built on evidence, data. And these knee-jerk people who are just saying, we need to defund the police, get rid of the police, that's complete insanity, that's complete insanity. <laughs> if you want to hurt the poor people in America, especially the poor black people in America, then let's just get rid of the police. That's, that's, gonna, that's really gonna hurt our neighbors and a lot of the violent crime committed, you know what hurts? It hurts a lot of black people. So if you want to, nobody's caring about them. All the, the real harm and suffering, it really, it, it really pains me to see that all the narrative is going in one direction, but incredible harm and pain and real suffering that's truly unjust, is being utterly ignored, because it doesn't fit the narrative. And we just finished up our series on the Ten Commandments. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That is unbelievably unjust. That that speaking the truth is unto justice. We need a lot more people in our society that's looking for the truth, that's asking for the truth, that's asking questions. That's looking for the truth, so that we can have real, truthful solutions. There are serious problems for sure, but we need real, truthful solutions. And I want to say one more thing before I get to the close of my message. There's lots of people who have been asking me. I've had this question asked a number of times. What shall we do? What shall we do? And um, I said in our, I said in in our in our online teaching that. I'm not a big fan of the protests. If you want to protest and you do peaceful protests, I don't have a problem with that. If you want to do anything violent, loot, steal, you should go to jail. I don't care what color you are, what race you are, you should go to jail. There's absolutely, there's zero excuse for that. You should go to jail. But I'm not a big fan of the protests. Why? Because you know the number one problem in poor black America is? is that they don't have fathers. 73% are born without a dad. You're born without a father. You live in a neighborhood, if your schools really stink, and a lot of the poor, urban, black neighborhoods the schools are, I can't even begin to tell you how unbelievably bad they are. They're horrible. I've lived in greater Philadelphia. I have friends who've taught in some of these schools. The stories they tell you are unbelievable. And our society, they won't actually fix this. These are some of the real problems. And um, does anybody talk about that? Does anybody care about that? And I will say something more. This is not just a problem of black America. A number of you know that uh, you know, the core numbers of the members of this church, that planted this church, we came out of a church and we spent 10 years serving a Native American reservation. You know what a lot of their problems are? The same problems. Fatherlessness, a sense of despair, a low sense that school is a pathway toward the future. Lots of drug addiction, crime. They're not black. You would say, "Oh, but they were oppressed like black people." Do you know that this is also going on in white America? It's totally going on in white America. So I read this book a few years ago. Best-selling book. You should read it. "Hillbilly Elegy," written by a guy named J.D. Vance, graduate of Yale Law School, but he came out of really poor white community. And when I read that book. I was like, oh my goodness, this is just like the reservation. Just like the reservation. And when I walk around the Native American reservation, you know what I often think about? I think about East Palo Alto, where I tutored when I was in college. I think about poor black neighborhoods in Philadelphia that I've wandered around. When we lived in greater Philadelphia, it's not, th- it's not that different. It's a lot of the same. I'm reading a book right now called Alienated America by Tim Carney. It's mostly about poor white folks. These are the real problems. These are the real, real problems. And if we really want to face these problems, so many people want to do, let's go to politics. Politics, if we just amass the power and we just throw some money and we can get certain, we can blame the problems on these people and then we can fix it, right? Well, this spirit has been in our country for many, many years, and I don't see this fixing these problems. So, brothers and sisters, we need something else. We need something new. We need God. We need a new way. We need ways that we talk to each other without judgment or condemnation and peace, We need to ask a lot of questions. We need to have humility toward neighbors and listen, including people's pain and their stories. And yes, their anger, but not their judgment, no. Nobody has a right to judge you. You have been won by the blood of Jesus. You should have fear of God, but you don't have to have fear of man. (laughs) Do not be afraid the people around you jesus is for you his righteousness covers you not yours you don't have to prove anything you may fail and fall down and of course we will but double down on christ your identity his righteousness not our own Okay, let me close. Uh, I want to talk about wisdom without condemnation. I want to tell you a story. I'm not trying to take too long. I'm going to take us to the gospel, and then we'll close. So, I told you that um, we came out of a church that went to serve on the Native American reservation. It's out in um, Bishop, California. And um, I want to tell you how it started. And... A conversation, a very, very important conversation, at the beginning of this mission. So the church started a group out of the Korean-speaking congregation wanted to take a group to go help poor Native Americans. So one of the team members was a youth pastor at the time. His name is Frank Kim. Many of you know him and you love him. Frank is a veteran. He has lots of wisdom from doing short-term mission trips to other countries, where rich or comparatively rich, privileged American Christians go to a much poorer country and they help them. And Frank has seen lots of this kind of help see it as be very bad. And he does not see it as genuine gospel ministry um, toward genuine building in justice and compassion and building the kingdom of God. It's a lot of, honestly, it's a lot of do-goodism in the name of Jesus, Christian do-goodism. And so Frank pulled me aside and said, Pastor Seuss, I I don't like this. (laughs) And he's incredibly troubled. And I 100% agree with him. Because part of the gospel is, we'll never be saved by our righteousness. We'll never be saved by some badge. I do this. Now I can put a badge on myself. I did this for Jesus. I'm a good Christian, aren't I? No. if you get in front of Jesus one day on Judgment Day and say, Jesus, I went to Native American reservation for you. He's going to go, so your righteousness, you're trying to get into heaven on the base of your righteousness? You're not going to make it. And of course, we're all Christians. Nobody goes around saying like, it's about my righteousness. But oh my goodness, for so many people it is. Because this is, the spirit of our age. The spirit of our age is we have to have it, uh, we have We to go do good. We have to have a purpose. There's so many of our, honestly, our unchurched secular neighbors, you know why they, they want to have a grand cause? Because they don't have a God. They don't have a kingdom. They don't have something greater and more worthy and greater and beautiful to live for than their own wisdom, their own plans. I'm going to have a great career, and then I'm going to make lots of money, and then I'm going to do something really great and contribute to the world and change the, the world. It's all about Their righteousness and their glory and how they're going to make the world a better place, their righteousness is at stake. That's the spirit of our age. We as Christians, we cannot have that spirit. Let me tell you something. Native Americans, when we, mostly Asian American Christians, were going on to, we were not their savior. There's only one savior. His name is Jesus. And let me say this. I do not believe that black Americans are a bunch of victims. There's constant victims, and white people are always going to downtrod them. I actually believe that black Americans, in the name of Jesus, there was an old song, We Shall Overcome. I absolutely, 100% believe in that song. And that song came out of the church, in the name of Jesus. I don't care who the heck these racists are, they cannot keep our brothers down. Because they have Jesus. And when we want the Native American Reservation, we have to believe that we're not going to be their saviors. Jesus is their savior. And you know what we need to do? We can't come in there with condescension. We have to be their friend. So here's what we learned. We went there and we tried some I mean, what the heck do we know about Native Americans? We know nothing. <laughs> we're totally stupid. But we had some good intentions, which isn't enough, and we had the gospel. So here's what it was like. I told Frank, I got you. We are not going to do this do good thing. So I laid it out in front of the elder and the deacon who was in charge. I said, You know, we're not going to go do this thing. What we need to have is a much thing that's from Jesus. We need to really help them have a gospel counterculture. In order to do that, we need to be in it for the long haul. We need to really sacrifice our money, our time, our. It's going to take. Serious sacrifice. So I, I laid it out to this elder and deacon. I said, I think it'll take like maybe minimum, I don't know, 10 years. And it's gonna cost a lot of money. And the deacon was like, he got really scared. You know the elder, he didn't even blink. It's just like, let's do it pastor. And that's how it got going. But we were still so dumb. You know what it was like? So we go to the reservation, offer these things to our Native Americans, Friends, well, they weren't our friends yet because they didn't like us because they don't trust outsiders. And some of our people were hurt. They would serve the Native Americans and then they would experience that, like, I did this, I really sacrificed. I worked. It was like 100 degrees. I did this weeding for them. It was so hard. And then all I got was, like, they didn't even care. They're just using me. And we said, yeah. Yeah, that's what it's going to take. So they rejected us. And they used us. Not ever all of them, but some of them. They rejected us and they used us. That's how they did it the first year. And then that's how they did it the second year. And that's what's still mostly going on in the third year. And we had some fruit. It's actually a lot of the kids who were coming to hear the gospel. But then around year four, something happened. You know, some people would complain. And then they would go on the mission trip And the following year. They didn't want to go on the mission trip because they were rejected and they were hurt. And then the following year we would say, well, that's what it's going to take. Let's go back there and get rejected and hurt. Because the goal is to win their trust. To get some real relationships. Not to be their savior, but to come alongside them, listen to them, and walk with them with Christ, for Christ. And it took to about year four where something incredible happened but we have to pay the price. And a lot of people today, they don't want to pay that price. They want to do something political. They want to throw some money at it. Like $1 trillion of the welfare state started by Lyndon Johnson has solved the problem. That has not solved the problem. But today, crazy, we still just want to say, politics, throw money at it. but we did it with Jesus and something different started happening. Let me close. Brothers and sisters, if you really want to help your neighbors and we really want to be agents of real justice unto shalom in our society, there is no shortcut. We're going to have to go in and we're going to be stupid and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to say insensitive things. But you know what? In Jesus, there's no condemnation. In the world, you go screw up because you failed works righteousness and then you get condemnation. But in Jesus, he says, go do this for me. We go and then we screw up. And then you know what he says? He goes, go again, fall down, fail. My cross covers it all and I'll be with you and he's the one that'll make the change. Let me close this way. We went, and over the next few years, as we loved Native Americans and sacrificed for them, you know what I found out? We gained so much more than we gave. We'd go to the reservation, like a couple of Native kids would get saved, and then more of our our own teenage kids would get saved. It It was crazy. Our church was so, we were blessed more the sacrifice and giving. We thought we were going to go there and do all this great stuff for them. But in our obedience, Jesus blessed us through them. Brothers and sisters, run to the cross. Let's do it with the cross. The power of grace that does not condemn, both for in your own heart and toward our neighbor's, and the grace that we have received, let's give our, this grace. Let's be let's, a gigantic grace, church. We've received a gigantic grace where there's no condemnation. Let us go out and seek justice and fall on our faces with a gigantic grace without condemnation and with loads of patience and receive hatred and rejection and condemnation. Just like our Savior, he did it for us. Brothers and sisters, this is his way. Hmm. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that I wasn't just some talking fool. And I pray that what I said was truly of you. And it exalts Christ, exalts his redemption, what you have done for us, which we could never have done for ourselves, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that you do not condemn us, and that even when we stumble and fall, your blood has covered up all our failing and all our sin. And even if we stumble and forward and we fail, you never fail. Help us to run with you and follow you and be a church that's always, always, always all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.